We are the trance enders. You are the trance enders. Together, we are the many facets and reflections of a unified whole. Through honest expression and vulnerability, we can collectively end the trance of cultural conditioning and see beyond the walls of division. Join us on this journey as we explore harmonious ways of living in truth and compassionate understanding. As, as expressions, expressions of one. one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first Trans Enders podcast of 2020. My name is Zeph, and today I'm going to be talking about comfort in the uncomfortable. I'll be going through somewhat of the basis of comfort in our lives, especially coming from the sort of 21st century Western perspective on life. I recognize that there are a lot of different ways that life goes. Um, but I, I'm going to be focusing on sort of the themes and elements behind, you know, growing up in the 21st century, 20th, 21st century, um, and sort of the, the, the themes that uh, occur and go on uh, in our lives. Uh, I'll start sort of with the, the basis of, you know, what is comfort, um, going through sort of our, our childhood experiences and things like that. And then moving through some of my personal experiences with um, uncomfortable situations, and then uh, sharing some some tips uh, for finding comfort in the uncomfortable, just based on what I've experienced in my life. So, uh, before I get started, you know, I just want to put out there that. When I speak of uncomfortable or discomfort or uh, situations which bring uh, a feeling of being uncomfortable, I'm not necessarily talking about uh, things like, you know, uh, abusive relationships or uh, um, more extreme situations that are, you know, obvious cause for uh, maybe leaving the situation or, or moving in a different direction. Uh, there are extremes in our lives which we all understand and recognize as being important to um, uh, move ourselves away from. What I'm speaking about more so are the situations in our lives which um, we define or perceive as being uncomfortable and maybe have reactions toward or, or uh, resist or push away as a result of our understanding of the situation. So, what is comfort? Here I'll, I'll define comfort as, as uh, something along the lines of uh, feeling security, feeling an ease of life, um, maybe peace, or uh, the sense of being able uh, to, to handle you know, whatever situation is in our life. Um, there's a, a familiar term called the comfort zone, um, and this almost speaks to a sort of a lack of challenge or, um, like I said, the, the sense of being capable of handling whatever it is that we have on our plate. So my question is, uh, what draws us to wanting comfort? as opposed to discomfort or an uncomfortable situation. Um, and I, I feel a lot of this starts uh, in our early development. Um, if you look at uh, the, the experience of a baby in the womb, uh, the womb is very protective. It supplies our needs. You know, the mother is eating and then it's channeled and funneled into our uh, body, you know, so that we have the, the nutrients that we're um, wanting and needing for our development. Um, it's warm, you know, uh, for those of you in, in cold environments, especially right now in the winter time, you can really relate to the, <laughs> the difference between being comfortable in warmth and uncomfortable in the bitter cold. Uh, thankfully, I'm in Hawaii and the sun is shining and the birds are singing. Uh, 
So within the womb, uh, there can be, you know, mishaps or, or neglect that uh, maybe challenge our sense of comfort, even, you know, prior to having any verbiage or understanding of, of this conceptually, but maybe more on a biological level. Um, you know, uh, maybe maybe the mother has an accident and falls on the uh, you know falls on her stomach while uh, a baby or while you as a baby were in the womb. Um, th these sort of things, or maybe neglect on the part of the the parent, uh, can challenge our basic biological sense of of comfort or or um, having our needs supplied. Uh, so there are elements there. Uh, then, you know, honestly, where my, where my mind goes is the, the birthing process itself. Um, not much of this process seems like it would be very comfortable for the baby being born. Um, for, <laughs> for myself, um, as I have been told, I don't remember this, but uh, I was told that when I uh, was born that the umbilical cord had been uh, wrapped around my neck and so I came out as a blue baby um, because I was uh, lacking oxygen, I was being choked by the, uh, the umbilical cord and then I was put in an incubator. Um, so, you know, while I don't have a conscious recollection of this, uh, the, it is possible that uh, experiences like this sort of um, give us a very early initial um, uh, contact with uh, un uh, discomfort or an uncomfortable situation or maybe a very dire um, situation in which, you know, you can't breathe, uh, these kinds of things. Uh, and then, you know, from this uh, birthing process, you know, we have uh, essentially on our hands a, 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 an infant who can't provide um, his or her own comfort, uh, his or her own needs. Um, we are in a state of being provided for. Um, and as we grow, uh, increasingly we begin to learn to ask for um, that which we need. Um, we don't really ask at first. We often scream, right? Little babies crying for food, crying for comfort, crying for, um, hey, I just uh, peed myself and I don't know what's going on. Help. You know, so we, uh, in, in our very early time, we begin to uh, learn how to ask uh, for uh, what we need to be able to establish a reasonable level of comfort um, for ourselves, comfort and security. Um, so uh, the theme is, is that uh, more and more this comfort and security becomes uh, our own responsibility. And over the course of our childhood, we are um, bit by bit weaned off of um, the, the sort of provision of comfort, the provision of our security um, by the parents or um, uh, these kinds of things. Maybe a, uh, I was an only child, but um, maybe you have a, a, a new sibling that comes along a year or two later who um, detracts a lot of attention and, uh, from yourself. And so you're sort of left to your own devices more in terms of uh, uh, providing yourself comfort and, and these sorts of things. And so our early year experiences can really affect our perspective um, on comfort. And through this weaning process, we can uh, arrive at various degrees of um, maybe willingness to um, wean off of the provision of comfort by others. Um, oftentimes what this leads to is uh, a search for um, maybe a replacement um, for the comfort that we got uh, from parents, uh, uh, sort of like a surrogate <laughs> parent, uh, so to speak, and this can take shape in many, many different ways. 
Um, say you had a really awesome experience in the womb and in your early childhood, not so much. Um, we can develop patterns of wanting to sort of recreate the, the comfort of the womb, even if it's not a conscious thing. Um, it can, it, it can, you know, just be a, a sort of response to the stimulus uh, as we're uh, as we're growing. And so, through all of this, through our childhood, through our development, uh, at some point, inevitably, uh, we face a challenge. Uh, we face maybe a significant loss of the sense of comfort. Um, maybe we have a traumatic experience which uh, puts us into contact with um, something very uncomfortable. Um, this can be a huge incident. It can be, you know, a, a divorce in, in a childhood or, uh, like I said, some sort of trauma, wh whether it's physical or um, what have you. Um, we can also grow up through uh, more subtle forms of this. Um, you know, maybe maybe a, uh, a situation in which your level of comfort fluctuates, uh, maybe from day to day or, or throughout periods of time. Um, and this can take shape as a sort of undercurrent of discomfort, which is harder to pinpoint. It's, like I said, it's more subtle. Um, and and it's, it can be sort of obscure to our uh, conscious understanding. Um, so the, uh, I say all of this just to kind of give a bit of a framework and a bit of a perspective on uh, where we're coming from in terms of uh, our pursuit of comfort, our uh, feeling as though we have comfort, and then the, uh, the, the uh, sort of pushing away or resistance of uh, uncomfortable experiences. Uh, uh, I feel that this is often based on uh, our, our, uh, our experiences, but then our reaction to the experiences that we've had. Um, and we react in a way that seems most likely to uh, instate or reinstate comfort. Uh, one way to look at this is, you know, uh, when you've had the experience of touching a, uh, say, a, a burner on a stove, a, a hot burner, yeah, you, you have that experience once, and then say you're, you know, uh, 27, and you are, are cooking food, and your hand gets pretty close to a hot burner, and whoo, you have this uh, instinctive recoil. Um, this is a demonstration of a uh, sort of baked in um, uh, underlying um, understanding of the importance of remaining comfortable or safe. Um, and there's an element uh, in here of, of sort of biological um, fear of response. Um, and it, we talked about that in a, in a previous uh, podcast about how you know there are various levels of fear, but uh, biological fears can really help protect us in dire situations. And so, again, um, this is something that you know is is very important and maybe kind of skirts the edge of um, uh, the the play between comfort and and discomfort. Um, there, there are a lot of things that are very important about our, our fear responses and, and acknowledging like, oh, wow, hot plate, super dangerous um, or, or uh, you know, potentially dangerous uh, if we get too close. So these things are important. And I would say that that's an example of something that isn't to be uh, discredited. So we have these instinctive uh, reactions to, to reinstate comfort for ourselves. And so, uh, if these uh, reactions succeed in providing comfort or bringing us back to a state of comfort, uh, these essentially can become our default um, learned patterns. However, uh, there's, there's a sort of a caveat to this because those default learned patterns are based on the experiences that we've had with discomfort itself. 
or insecurity or uh, these sorts of things. And so there's an element of fear. Again, there's biological fear, very important. Then there are fear responses that we have based on uh, situations that maybe aren't quite to our liking. Um, and, and we learn to avoid those situations, uh, especially growing up in, in, you know, say a city or a, a town where you don't have many biological um, uh, threats, you know, compare this to growing up in um, a, a tribe in the Amazon. Uh, you're going to come across all kinds of things like spiders and snakes and jaguars and wild monkeys swinging from the trees. And these are uh, significant experiences that I feel the human being had contact with for most of the development of um, our you know, ancestry. And so growing up in the 21st century in the Western world, um, we are not uh, isolated from experiences like this, but oftentimes, if we're really being truthful, um, we go through years and years and years of life with very minimal contact with uh, significant um, biological threats. Um, I would say something that, that takes the place of this as something like uh, car accidents or uh, these sorts of things that are uh, very threatening or, or dangerous. But by and large, uh, we, we have very minimal contact with um, significant threats like that relative to maybe what people were dealing with a thousand years ago or further back. So through all of this, through our um, sort of learned patterns in mitigating discomfort, uh, essentially what we come to is uh, we learn to fear discomfort, uh, just to put it into words. Uh, we learn that comfort is better than discomfort, therefore oftentimes we uh, learn to uh, altogether avoid or make um, discomfort, uh, something that is, is negative or something that, that we, we just don't welcome in. I feel that this is one of the major afflictions of uh, the Western world in, in, in our time. The thing is, is that discomfort is, really is a natural experience. Uh, it's not necessarily something to avoid. More fruitfully, I would say, uh, we can find ways of harmonizing with experiences with discomfort. Um, because if you, if you look at life and you, you just split it in half in terms of um, comfort and discomfort, if we're constantly avoiding the situations that bring some level of discomfort in our lives, we're essentially neglecting um, what could be, you know, 50% of the potential experiences that we have in our life in favor of this um, idea of comfort, which again is based on our early experiences. It's based on what we have uh, moved through and gone through in our lives to sort of define our perspective within ourselves, within each of us, um, of what comfort is and what discomfort is. And that's very, very, very different for each of us. So recognizing that uh, these ideas behind comfort are um, unique to each person and you're going to define it differently uh, while listening to this. And so seeing that um, ultimately many of us find ourselves in a state of fearing or avoiding discomfort. Uh, and so what I want to talk about is, is um, how we can harmonize with discomfort. And so that brings me to uh, sharing a, a pretty, um, um, pretty intimate uh, s story about my life, experiences that I had um, in discomfort uh, and, and sort of how I moved through that at first really not consciously. I didn't recognize that I was doing what I was doing necessarily, but nonetheless these things happened. So, <laughs> teenage me, I'm in uh, sophomore year of high school. 
Um, I had been uh, in, in all kinds of different situations through my life, um, growing up um, with, a, with a, a, a single parent who um, frequented alcohol. Um, you know, I, I had much exposure in, in bars as an early age. I was uh, in situations of avoiding, you know, bar fights and a lot of aggression and these kinds of things. Um, going through school, I, I faced uh, through middle school and early high school, I faced a lot of bullying. Um, uh, through this, uh, with sort of a, a bit of an absence in the parental realm, um, I felt that I, I um, wasn't quite good enough. Um, I was the uh, one of the few kids of, of lower income at a school with a very high per capita income. Um, within this, I had broken my two front teeth out and, you know, couldn't afford to fix them. So there was a lot of social um, trouble for me in, you know, having broken my two front teeth out and walking around school for two years without them. Um, as children, we can be pretty harsh with one another. As a child and, and especially into middle and high school, I was... Um, I found myself in a position of looking back now, uh, being significantly more responsible for um, myself in sort of an adult way uh, than most children um, uh, find themselves to be, uh, especially in our uh, day and age. One of the huge aspects of that, like I said, growing up with a single parent, I never had met my father. Um, I had no contact. I and as a as a person in a in a male body, um, this brought about a lot of confusion for me. Um, I was confused about gender. I was confused about the role of parents. What I was supposed to be receiving in terms of love and care and support and and you know comfort and uh, these sorts of things. So. Um, I found myself uh, in a state where I had a lot on my plate. And a lot of this uh, was in the emotional and mental realms. Um, I, uh, at the time, you know, in teenage angst, was really discontent. I was really upset with my place in life with feeling that I didn't deserve to have all of this occurring to me when I looked around at the kids that were, you know, complaining because they had a scratch on their jet ski. Um, I was, you know, uh, <laughs> going through all sorts of things, let's say. And so in this state, in my um, high school self, I was, I, I reached a point really when I was just done. I was tired of it. I just kept getting hit by one thing after another. I felt like I just kept getting beat down. I was never good enough, so on and so forth. And I wanted to be done with the whole thing. I, I know that I'm not alone in having felt this. And so maybe some of you that, that are listening to this uh, can relate. But genuinely, in that time, I wanted to uh, exit the scene. I. I really wanted to be done and I remember one week in particular because it was a very impactful week in my life. Um, I, was, I was sitting in my room on, on Monday and said, okay, you know, I'm done. On Friday, at the end of this week, I'm going to commit suicide. That was the decision that I had made in my situation. Um, and so there I was on Monday with this plan about Friday. And so I'm going through the week and on Wednesday of that week, I got a message from someone with my father's last name. Um, she asked if I was my father's son. And I was so blown away. I could not believe what was occurring. Here I was in, you know, rock bottom as far as I knew it. 
um, with little idea of hope or, or openness um, toward the future. And lo and behold, someone messages me who wants to get in touch with me uh, concerning my dad, the one I had never met, the one I always wanted a hug from, the one I wanted to see a picture of, all of this stuff. I had you know, blown this huge thing up in my mind and said, oh my gosh, here it is. All right. I got really excited. And so we uh, exchanged phone numbers and she called and first straight away she wanted to talk to my mom. Uh, I'll shorten the story and just say um, what started as excitement for me and a big old list of questions and, and um, um, really looking forward uh, became something very different very quickly. Um, I saw my, my mother's tears, I saw the, the conversation that they were having go um, quite differently than I was anticipating or really hoping for. And uh, I, I didn't actually get to speak with uh, this woman who's my, my cousin. Um, and then my, my mother was responsible for breaking the news to me that um, eight years prior to that day, uh, my dad had committed suicide. And I'll be honest, this completely floored me. There I was in, like I said, rock bottom, um, having already made an idea and set a day for my own suicide. And here I was with the last shot at hope, uh, final um, um, glimmer. And what came to me was um, probably the most tragic news um, that I had received up until that point and you know still may have ever received I was very very upset on many levels um, but mostly I was angry I was angry at the fact that um, you know here I was this child who all he wanted his whole life really was his father um, to, to, to just feel that embrace um, and I felt as though this experience added just a whole extra huge weight to all of that which I already felt oppressed by. It really added so much more to the suffering that I was feeling. And I was, <laughs> I was faced with something really peculiar. Um, what I came into was a, I came to an impasse because I was so mad that my dad, at the time, you know, I'll, I'll share the way, the, the way that I defined it at the time. I was so mad that my dad was such a coward. And so um, lacking uh, care or consideration for this kid that he had never even been in touch with. Um, what ran through my mind was, geez, you couldn't even just reach out before you did that. And, and so I, I felt that I was a victim in that situation. And so the impasse that I speak of is the fact that I was planning my own suicide. And here I was faced with the fact that my dad had done it. And I was so angry at what that meant for me, um, how I felt uh, his, his decision making was way off base. And so what happened was that I in my anger toward my dad and sort of in spite of that I said you know what I'm not gonna stoop to his level I can't even do it 
I can't do it. I can't kill myself because that guy just did it and I'm mad about it. <laughs> and so that Friday came and I felt the immensity of the weight on my shoulders. You know, if I thought I had it bad prior to this week, I certainly was dealing with a lot this week. And so that Friday came and you know what? I was less happy than I even thought I could be when I had planned um, to, to commit suicide. And I had to wake up on Saturday. And so I did. I got up on Saturday and I looked around and I felt the, the hollow pit in my stomach. Uh, I felt the pain in my heart, felt the confusion in my mind and the uh, lack of motivation in my spirit. And I went outside or looked out the window and, and I said, gosh, what am I going to do with all of this? I was stuck. I literally felt stuck in this world due to the bizarre way that all of this unfolded. And so um, I didn't sit down and write out, okay, what am I going to do? But out of, you know, really out of desperation and just the need to get through this, this day, I looked around and I said, okay, and I remember this very vividly. I looked up at the clouds and I said, okay, those clouds are so awesome. I'm just like, I'm just going to focus on the fact that these clouds are really cool today. They're big, puffy, cumulus clouds, all sorts of shapes in them, all this stuff. And I just... I clung to that. I find anything that's half decent and uh, maybe that'll help me get through this day. I didn't realize what was occurring in that moment. It was really a fundamental shift in my perspective. My excitement about those clouds didn't last very long. Um, maybe a few hours. Uh, and I remember looking at this, uh, this plant, this, uh, uh, an elephant ear plant, and seeing this cool, I don't know, bug or, or, or whatever kind of animal, maybe it was a lizard or something. And I said, wow, that's really cool. Okay, I'm just so, I'm just gonna check out this little, I think it was a caterpillar. I'm just gonna like look at this caterpillar and just like dive into this and just really distract my mind from the suffering that I felt I was uh, moving through and all of the emotional weight that I was trying to process and with, with very little support um, from, from others. And so, this started something because on Sunday I did the same thing. I've, I found something and I think Sunday it was my skateboard. Um, I just said, you know, I'm so stoked that this skateboard exists and that it can carry me wherever I want to go. I can, you know, skate as fast as I possibly, you know, could and, and just went and got lost on my skateboard and, and I uh, just found uh, a, a way to channel my frustration and sadness into something that I enjoyed. Um, so what started to happen in this um, was that I broke a mental pattern. At first I had no idea I was doing this, but this is what was occurring. Um, I broke the mental pattern of, there are a lot of them, uh, <laughs> there was victimhood, um, there was, uh, you know, the feeling that I was unsupported, uh, there was the feeling that the world was just out to get me and that it was just one thing after another just slamming, slamming me down. And I did this by finding something positive, something that I could appreciate. And through this process, um, it, took, uh, it took years. 
um, to you know maybe relinquish the the greater um, extent of the um, uh, things that I had moved through as a child um, but actually it took a few weeks or a few months to start to begin to recognize more on a conscious level that by choosing my perspective by finding something awesome amidst all of the things that I could find and, and attach myself to that were not awesome. Um, what this did was shifted the whole experience of my reality. It changed the way that I viewed the world. And what I began to find amidst all of this was that actually, wow, there are a lot of really great things all around me. Even while all of the other stuff hadn't left, um, I was still being bullied. I still had no front teeth. Um, my dad wasn't coming back to life so on and so forth. Um, and yet, I was able to, to smile. I was able to um, find joy. Um, I was able to, um, <laughs> sort of out of desperation, uh, begin to open myself up to others. Um, and, and make more friends. Um, I really needed support, right? So this was, this was a very instrumental thing to me. And, and for those of you who may be listening who were uh, around me at the time, thank you guys <laughs> for, you know, you probably don't even know that I was going through all of that, but, you know, I, I'm really grateful for the people that ended up being around me at that time and, and the, the communities that I, that I found uh, that, that helped me move through these things. And so one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time, things really started to shift. Um, it sort of took me over. It started to happen to me. Uh, sort of like when you uh, hop into a river and you float for a second, um, or even in the ocean, you're out there floating or on your surfboard or whatever, and you realize, wow, I've I've been carried a long way down the, down the river or, or down the coastline. Uh, this current has really swept me and, and taken me somewhere else. And I really found myself transported into a different um, experience of life. Uh, and immediately uh, through this experience, what started to happen was that it really um, did a lot for me to begin sharing this with others. Um, not the story itself. I wasn't, I wasn't aware enough of what was occurring to be able to share the story. But what I started to share with my friends who were also dealing with things and who were also going through the teenage angst and the confusion and the upset and I don't want to do this, all this stuff. What I started to say was, hey, well, what can you find that's awesome? You know, what, what, what is good? Even though all that stuff is bad. Um, and so what this began to establish was the potential or the recognition of comfort amidst the uncomfortable, um, joy amidst sadness, support amidst uh, a whole life of feeling unsupported. And so I sit here now and ask myself, okay, well, what do we do with this? Um, how can we uh, go forward in allowing life to be what it is, even if what it is uh, we can define as uncomfortable? How can we move through these things and establish a reasonable level of comfort amidst it all.
What I've come to find is that uh, perspective defines experience. And I really I, I emphasize the word defines. Uh, perspective really creates a definition, a mental definition, a mental construct, a conceptualization of what our experience is. Um, of course, our idea about our experience isn't the experience itself. Um, and so our perspective is what we decide to believe about our experience. And so in terms of, of comfort and, and maybe uh, finding comfort amidst these uncomfortable situations, what I'm led to, to ask is, why does comfort seem like a necessary thing to have first and foremost bef before we can begin uh, enjoying our lives or appreciating our lives. So is that true? Does our life have to be devoid of discomfort in order for us to feel comfortable within it? Or is this maybe a trance, a cultural condition, a learned pattern a reaction um, which causes us to sort of demand comfort. I want to say here real quickly, again, there are situations which are very important to move ourselves away from. Things that spark our biological fears and our biological needs to um, uh, rid ourselves of a situation, fight or flight, these sorts of things. Um, I don't want to discredit that or, or push that out of uh, recognition. Where we can bring ourselves is to the recognition that um, we can see beyond our need for comfort. The way that I uh, learned to do this or, or just uh, out of desperation just needed to at that time in my childhood was to recognize beauty uh, in positive things or, you know, again, what I could define as positive. A lot of, honestly, a lot of the things that really got me through it were things that, that I feel have elements of essential beauty. Uh, they, were, they were things in nature, they were the clouds, it was the sunshine, it was uh, these sorts of things. Um, and, and so by recognizing beauty, by observing things that we can appreciate, whether with our eyes and our senses or, um, you know, one of my huge refuges uh, in that time was music. Um, I, I, I felt a lot of peace and comfort and um, could, could kind of curl up into my own little space and lick my wounds um, with the comfort of music. And, and I found this to be a very beautiful, powerful um, aspect of life that I really clung to. And so what begins to happen through this um, is that we actually begin to uh, self-generate our feeling of comfort. Rather than reaching outward or looking outwardly for comfort itself, I began to define comfort from within and sure, there were things outside of me that I, that I saw as beautiful or saw as enjoyable. But what I began to do was generate the inner feeling of comfort and peace and calm, contentment um, by rerouting my thinking. And I think this is, is, is really a, a, a huge crux of all of this, is that... In our resistance to discomfort, one could say that we are looking outwardly for comfort. Again, this comes back to our childhood when we received comfort from the outside when we couldn't provide it for ourselves. But we're adults. We're responsible for our own feelings of comfort. 
especially if we're discontented by things that are uncomfortable or that don't fall into the realm of acceptable uh, to our minds. And so by, by self-generating this f inner sense of comfort, um, by, by bringing ourselves to that rather than requiring something from the outside to give us that sense of comfort, but by creating it, by perceiving it, by shifting our mentality into recognizing that actually amidst all the uncomfortable things, there's a lot of things to be comfortable with. Um, you're breathing air right now. Uh, we often forget that that's just being abundantly supplied to us. Um, maybe not so much in a city full of cars, but e even still, you're breathing oxygen. You're carrying on, right? And so there are endless, endless, endless numbers of things that we can um, recognize around us and use our own capacity to acknowledge that which is beautiful or um, inspiring or um, enjoyable. And so we bring ourselves into a state of comfort. Again, rather than seeking it or needing it from the outside. And so then what do we do with the uncomfortable situations? Uh, they are they are still around us, and I, I think it's a bit uh, maybe ignorant or short-sighted to just try to define uncomfortable situations as being comfortable. No, it's not about, again, neglecting or resisting discomfort. Um, it's more about harmonizing with that and recognizing it as a fundamental aspect of what we're doing here. It's half of it's half of comfort. Um, in order to define comfort, you'd necessarily have to have a definition for discomfort. And so in these situations, something that helps me is um, rather than reacting or by resisting uh, these uncomfortable situations, the, 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 the medicine for me is to see these experiences as lessons or to begin to um, find the value in the experience. Um, what can you make of it? And uh, what sort of things can, can um, be learned or come about from this experience? And how can uh, we reroute our, our mental understanding of the situation outside of the dualism altogether? Of, of comfort versus discomfort or um, enjoyable or non-enjoyable or, or um, um, right and wrong, you know, these kinds of things, they're all, they're all very black and white. Um, how can we move ourselves out of um, perception in this limited sort of binary way and begin to simply um, uh, embrace what occurs as um, maybe motivation towards something new or a, a deeper understanding of, of oneself or a, an opportunity, um, these sorts of things. Because I feel that ultimately when we stop defining life based on these dualisms of say comfort and discomfort, and we learn to just simply work with all situations um, beyond the idea or the conceptualization that we uh, can very easily make about that situation, the whole thing changes. Um, at least our, our interaction with and experience within these situations totally begins to change. Um, and, and you know, I, I saw this through the story that I shared because I didn't, I didn't leave any of those uncomfortable situations. Eventually, yes, they did change. And that's also a huge part of it is, you know, whatever you're going through, it will change at some point in some way. Um, but in the thick of it, the situation really continued to compound upon itself 
going forward from that uh, day that I decided to look for something beautiful. Um, but because my mentality had changed, my experience of the whole thing changed as well. And it brought me to a place of actually embracing challenges, embracing uncomfortable situations. So what we end up with is a, a far more expansive experience of reality. We don't dismiss the half of it, so to speak, uh, that we could label as wrong or bad or, or uh, uh, uncomfortable. We actually begin to um, live in those experiences as well. And might I say, recognizing the beauty therein, uh, learning the lessons therein rather than avoiding them. And uh, this has been the kind of a, a, one of the, the most profound aspects of my life. It's allowed me to go travel and, and hitchhike around countries for months and months and months at a time and, you know, be content eating little, little meals and sleeping in dirt and, um, you know, wearing stinky clothes and all this kind of stuff and being low on money and all of these kinds of things that would typically be uh, resisted or, or labeled as uncomfortable or, or um, uh, inopportune. And what's come or, from those experiences are some of the most incredible moments of my life. So, here we have an opportunity to find comfort amidst the uncomfortable and then to transcend, to transcend this uh, dualism altogether. And it's not an overnight process necessarily. Um, but I believe that we all have the capacity to do this and, and to see beyond these limited ideas of our reality. And so at that, I say thank you. Happy 2020. This is a year that will potentially draw out a lot of um, discomfort, um, but it's to move us and so next time you find yourself calling a situation or labeling a situation as uncomfortable or not right, take a moment and recognize how you can shift your perspective and watch that situation become beautiful. Take care, friends.